Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode number 42, Future of Web Development. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. And in this episode, we're going to be going through our weekly pain points, as well as segment number one, which is industry trends in 2019, segment number two, which is our predictions, and then a web news that's sure to spark up a conversation, are we too focused on conversions? But before we jump right into the episode, I just wanted to mention once again that we do have a brand new Discord server launched approximately a week ago. So there'll be a link in the full version of the show notes on the website. Make sure you check that out if you want to join our community. It's going quite well so far. So let's kick it off with Mike's pain points for the week. Yeah, so speaking of the website, my pain point of the week was the htmlallthings.com website. Um, So the the issue that we were having was we weren't being indexed by Google, and we're kind of new to uh, like static or production... Vue.js websites, so SEO optimization, making sure that everything is correct. And then also on the server side, there was a lot of uh, setup that need to, needed to be done to make sure that SSL was working across all domains for HTML, the things. So that was a big pain point this week. Matt and I probably spent four or five hours on the on a call at one point, just going through different methods of trying to do it. And eventually, I think we got it, got it going. Um, and we've you know, we've been indexed by Google, so you can go ahead and search HTML, all the things on Google, and you will find us, or you should find us in the top three. If you don't, let us know. Uh, best way to let us know, actually, is to join our Discord, because we have some great conversations in there, and we've had a lot of people uh, helping us out on checking if we're indexed or not. So, yeah, let us know when when you can. Join our Discord. Let's have a chat. Uh, what's your weekly pain point, Matt? So my weekly pain point this week is in preparation for a new series that I'm coming up with. So it's going to be uh, regarding Tailwind CSS. So I haven't used Tailwind very much, and as a result, I wanted to go install it. And the series I want to do is sort of a real basic tutorial of using Tailwind CSS sort of by itself, uh, making a website with that or making a UI with that, uh, to be more specific. And then I wanted to eventually kind of graduate into using uh, Tailwind with Vue, and that would be kind of like the end of our intro series, and I would maybe continue with that going forward, uh, depending on how much it, it how much different it is with Vue and all that kind of thing. I haven't looked into it yet, so we'll get there. But the big thing was uh, Tailwind CSS is sort of really tailored toward having a full quote-unquote build procedure, so having something that compiles it and that type of thing, and uh, I obviously didn't want or didn't have that at the moment because I was just wanting to use Tailwind CSS. So one little tiny thing then is Bootstrap is a little bit, in my opinion, easier to install uh, without having to compile it. Uh, you can use a CDN with Tailwinds, but it does limit some features that I wanted to touch on. But uh, all is well now. I got it working and everything should be fine. And I had a couple of Git problems. That's fixed. And I think we're good to go for the actual series. So I could start working on that and already have started working on that. So expect some more written pieces on that coming very soon. So I'm going to go uh, go ahead now, and uh, it's a mic-heavy episode, so I'm going to throw it back to Mike for uh, segment number one. All right, so segment number one, industry trends in 2019. So pretty much this segment will be um, taking a look. I It's not my industry trends, the ones that I'm seeing fully, because that's going to be the next segment, is, is going to be kind of our predictions for uh, 
the future of web development. But this segment, I've kind of gone through a, a couple different sources. I, I've gone through quite a few, actually, and I narrowed down to a couple sources that I really liked. Uh, the two websites are actually codingdojo.com and then keycdn.com. And uh, those the links to the actual trends that they're pointing out will be in the uh, show notes on our website. So you can check those out. But essentially, I've gone through them. I've kind of digested digested those trends that they're talking about. And I'll be just touching on each each trend and letting you know how I see it going going forward in the future. Um, so first trend, let's, let's just get this going, is progressive web apps. And I think that this is dead on. Uh, they, they've definitely been on the rise heavily. Um, I've started using them in production work environments. Now, bar in mind that it's a temporary solution currently to our production work environment. We will have a more native application in the future, but as a, it's a great, like, and I mean, amazing way to do a quick, a quick iteration process on, on an application, especially if you don't need any sort of like serious native features. Uh, that's if you're working with iOS, obviously, because we know that if you're only working with Android and you need native features, really a PWA can do everything for you almost. But if you're cross-platform, um, you you kind of have to limit yourself to some very basic features. But if you only need those features and you want to iterate quickly without having to deal with any sort of store or any sort of install process and stuff like that, uh, PWAs are a great way to go. You can send out updates on the fly. It, it updates really quickly and you can get feedback really well uh, from, from the people using it and quickly update as you go. So Really recommend t- checking out Pro- Progressive Web Apps. We have a web so- episode on them. Uh, maybe we'll actually also link that episode in the show notes as well. So you can check that out. It'll be more in depth on what Progressive Web Apps are. I don't want to get too, too in depth, just not to repeat myself. Um, the next trend that these people are seeing is cross-platform applications. And again, this kind of uh, is, a, is a lead from the Progressive Web Apps. And I also am very... I agree with this one as well. Cross-platform apps are very much going up or on the rise on the rise in 2019, and I think will continue going up for a significant amount of time. Um, I wouldn't say forever, but for for now, it's definitely a very trendy uh, way of coding because with small teams, you can develop a application for iOS, Android and the web at the same time, as well as some other less used application process. Like, so like a desktop application, um, you can do that as well. So it's a really, really good way for a startup to get something out there. Um, again, it might not be a permanent solution, but as a, as a first offering, it's great because really web apps can do almost everything. The only thing that they struggle on a little bit is the fact that they're single-threaded for the most part. You can use service workers to kind of elevate that, but for the most part, you have to stick with a single thread, and therefore, there could be some chunky operation on some lower-end devices. So if you're coding for all the devices and you have a lot of animations, a lot of UI navigation, a lot of multimedia in your application, you can see a significant difference between native applications, which can use multiple cores, and they're a lot more optimized for the, the metal of the actual uh, device than a you know a web application which has to go through a couple of different rendering engines and the web the, a web view kind of to slow slow it down a little bit so that's the only kind of drawback to cross platform development um, and there's different kinds of ways to do it React Native uh, I I talked a little bit about Flutter last week so you can you can take a look at that um, and uh, Vue Native is coming up now so the and, and also Cordova which is something we use heavily so 
plenty of ways to do cross-platform web web apps. More ways are coming up more and more. So therefore, it's definitely a trend in 2019, in my opinion. Um, AI and chatbots is the next one. Uh, this one I am sort of on the fence about. Like I see, I've seen a lot of articles talking about AI and chatbots, and I and I have seen websites start using them. So like this, this refers to that when you get to a website, it automatically pops up with a little chat at the bottom. And you just see people like you, you see someone like a, a random name talking to you, asking you if you if you need any help with the website. And I can see uh, this being a great way for like a small business to be able to add that personal touch to their website. Um, but, you know, it, it it's a tough one. It's a tough one to kind of digest. I'm, I'm not too sure. Uh, I, I have like a bit of a, an opinion on this particular one. And, and it's more of a question, I guess it is, is 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 this is this adding to the onslaught of all the the pop-ups and all the different things that people will see when they're new viewers or new visitors of a website, especially if it's their first visit. So, you know, other things would be obviously like notification pop-up, you know, asking, can we send you notifications, a newsletter sign-up thing coming up. Uh, of course, if there's a cookie policy thing that needs to be dealt with. Uh, and, and then now we also have this chat thing coming up. I mean, I, I do appreciate chat apps, especially on things like Discord and that type of thing, because it's more like, you know, you just tell the bot to do something and it does something, changes your color of your name or whatever, it, whatever it does. You know, the bot can handle that. And that should be, you know, automated and it shouldn't really be done by a person these days. But when it comes to going to these websites... I don't know whether this is a place where I would agree them fitting in. And this actually does tie into the web news quite a bit. And these, these bots or these chat windows, whatever they do create conversions, but are they positive enough? Like, is there a positive enough effect on the conversions for them to be worth it? Because I'm wondering whether a lot of people, like I, I think a lot of people who are not tech savvy, who maybe don't use the web all that much, are kind of semi-annoyed by these pop-ups and that type of thing. Like, you know, the, all the stuff that I just listed, they're probably a little bit annoyed. But at the same time, there's probably, a, or at least I'm annoyed at the fact that I'm on the web all the time, you know, for work and everything else. And of course, it's like every time you go to a new website, you know, you're just looking up like the problem for something. And it's like, it, or you're looking up just the price. Like you just want to grab a price for a client from a website. And of course, they have to message you, you know, four or five times. They're not message you, but things, four or five things have to pop up. And to me, that gets annoying. And and I don't know whether it will actually turn some conversions away. Like, oh, I you know I'm willing to pay that price, but this is a pain in the ass. I don't want to do this now. I don't know what the numbers are on that, but I would say that this is going to be one of those trends that maybe goes by the wayside and maybe converts itself more into there being a chat bubble because people are starting to get used to the little chat bubble where the bot kind of pops up. And then having that chat bubble just be present and people are like aware of what it is. It doesn't really like pop up in your face. It doesn't open a chat for you. And maybe that'll be how it goes ahead. I think that maybe that won't really take off in 2019, maybe more 2020. And it's just a complete prediction on my behalf, but, uh, or in my opinion, but that's just my two cents regarding, regarding these little annoying pop-ups we get all the time. Yeah. And I, I kind of agree with you. I think it like too many of them is just kind of, gratuitous at this point like if you have again the cookie policy the newsletter and a chat like that i'm, I'm probably going to leave your site without going further um that's just too much i think there is like and um the chat bubble way is a good idea and i think i've seen sites do that where it's just like a little circle with a little notification you know message there like a little you know exclamation red exclamation point or something saying that there's something there uh, and you can pop it up yourself i do like that implementation 
the other thing that I would just just thought of right now actually is why don't websites combine all of these into a chat pop-up? So essentially it's it's making a, a user use the chat right away to agree to a cookie policy. So it'll just be like two buttons, yes or no, in the chat. And the chat, like the the bot essentially in quote unquote will will uh will say like hey can you can you take a look at our you know cookie policy and uh, agree or disagree and then it'll give you the options to agree and disagree um and then the next thing will be like a, a thing for a newsletter sign up so you're kind of combining all of these into one pop-up and making it a more personable experience where like so it's it's like a person is talking to you or it's like your own scripted way of talking to any user that gets on the site and uh you can really use you know good good language good uh good interaction to generate even more conversions so i mean I, that might be something that i might work on at some point and see if i can get a little demo up and we'll we'll, we'll get some feedback from uh from the audience on that because i think i think that could be a really cool way of kind of implementing this new trend like a quote-unquote trend to uh all the older more annoying trends um so yeah, that that that's kind of what I what I think I might do. Uh, so the next industry trend is blockchain. Uh, this one I, I'm I'm also kind of skeptical on. Uh, I agree that obviously a lot of people are talking about blockchain, and um, people are doing stuff with blockchain. I haven't seen too too much interesting aspects of it being implemented into an actual usable product for me, with one exception. Uh, if anyone's used the Brave browser, uh, it's actually a really good like cut down version of chromium uh with a lot of good privacy settings and a lot of a lot of good ui tweaks in it that make it a really actually really good browser check it out if you haven't checked it out already but the the blockchain tie-in into it is actually a revenue share crypto coin called bat so what you what it does is you can go into uh a, a creator someone like us or someone like uh a youtube channel can actually register as a bat as a brave creator and what people can do is when they go on that website they can actually donate bat coins to them automatically like not they can do it automatically they can set up an automatic donation or they can do it based on how much they want so each person gets 20 coins for just signing up uh, which i'm not i think it's like a significant amount of uh dollars at this i think one coin is like 50 cents or something or 50 canadian canadian cents at this point um but essentially, it's just like a way of giving giving back to creators and being able to share share with creators a little bit. And what what it's in lieu of is the fact that that web that browser has automatic ad blocking enabled, right? So any normal ads like Google ads you won't see. But in lieu of that, you can kind of give back to the creators with these bad coins. Uh, and the way to earn bad coins, there's another little mechanic that they've added in there is viewing curated ads from them so what will happen is a little pop-up will happen in, on your desktop screen at the bottom right saying that there's an ad that's been curated for you from the bat browser and you it's your choice to click on it and then you can view that ad and by viewing that ad you get a little bit of a bat coin and um, with those bat coins again you can give back revenue sharing to to other creators so it's kind of like a an interesting way of doing this strange uh revenue sharing thing and using crypto and blockchain all in one um i don't know if it's going to take off to be honest i'm not 100 percent certain on that for sure i think it's one of the most public ways that it's like th that something is gaining momentum um for blockchain in my opinion but i don't know if it's enough to say that it's an industry trend in 2019 
with that, uh, the next one, uh, and I haven't actually done too much research on this, but it's something called Motion UI. Uh, so Motion UI is essentially a framework uh, or a library that uh, that gives you access to a lot of the different, a lot of different animation classes, a lot of CSS animations, easy ways to implement CSS animations. And what what people are saying with Motion UI uh, is not it's not only the fact that Motion UI is trending the the, the framework, but also animations in websites telling a story are trending so being like going through a website and seeing stuff pop in or fade in or fade out and like slide in depending on what's going on on the website and what kind of story the creator is trying to tell that's what's kind of been the 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 trend of 2019 and i have seen that quite often um a lot of big big websites will do stuff like that. Like I think the OnePlus website that I just went to, uh, the OnePlus One phone manufacturer website did that. I think Apple does it now. I think uh, Google has some some websites that do like the, you know, the pop-in animations that kind of give more background or more interest in a, in a, in a story that's being told during a a scrolling effect or something like that. So I, I think this one is kind of, is an industry trend of 2019. I don't know how long it's going to stick around for. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be in a forever industry trend. Um, and it's definitely not something I'm very good at. Like I have done some animation work uh, on websites, but I'm not the greatest at knowing, like I'm not a UX developer, so I don't know exactly where to put an animation. Uh, but I do, I, I am trying to figure that out. That is something I'm actively working on because I think there is some some value in it. As long as the animation is not uh, directly impacting a person's experience like negatively impact impacting a person's experience like slowing them down from accessing certain information on the site i think that's when an animation can get in the way but if it's an animation that's showing like where something's been updated or where you're going in the website or where you're going in the experience i think that's a good way of showing it like if you're moving forward in an experience you know a swipe left to right sounds like something that would make sense um that that's kind of what 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 I see with the motion UI uh, part of the industry trends. So next thing is voice search integration, and this is one, this one's interesting to me actually because I didn't even think of this until I started reading all these articles about industry trends. Um, so voice search integration kind of makes sense if you think about it. With virtual assistants becoming more commonplace, like Google Home, Amazon Echo, and stuff like that, a lot of people are getting used to using their voice to control certain digital aspects of their lives. Um, so this is now carrying over to websites. So websites can now use things like web speech API, and there's a lot of other libraries and frameworks that are, that have voice search integrated into them where you can program it into your website, where someone can actually do a command with their voice and access certain components of your website with that. I think it's, I think this is a big one. Um, I think this one will go further than, than most of the other ones, because not only is it kind of like a, a thing that people are doing more often, like using using voice assistance and using AI assistance, uh, it's also a great accessibility feature for someone that's uh, you know hard of seeing. Um, and to provide something, a voice integration for them to be able to a read your site or read some options or read the nav bar, and then show you different, uh, being able to actually control the site with their voice without them having to use a third party application. Uh, I think that's a big step in in towards accessibility inside of a uh, inside of a website. Uh, with that, uh, there's also API first design. So that's an, another industry trend, and I kind of also agree with this. So API first first design is when 
you kind of look at what you'll be pulling into the website. So what information you'll be pulling in, like what social feeds, what content feeds, what news feeds you're going to be pulling into your website and going from there to design your website, knowing what information is going to be displayed. Uh, so instead of, you know, laying out your website and then being like, okay, what APIs do I use? You do a, re a reverse way of doing this. And I kind of agree with this. Uh, I, I've done a... Um, an article on Medium that that is a about controlling a website or creating a responsive website with JSON. So using JSON to create that website, and that's essentially what an API will usually return to you is JSON. And I think it's a really smart way of thinking about it. So if you if you take a look at uh, any sort of large news driven websites or information driven websites, they're usually getting stuff from an API, whether it be like a third party API or their own API from their own servers. Uh, they're getting a set of information. So they're getting like a, a news title, date, you know, like stuff, description, stuff like that. And with knowing what they get from their API, um, it's a lot easier to start laying stuff out on, on like doing the design of the website, knowing what is going to come from the API that you're doing. So it's a smart, it's a smart way of thinking. I think it's a, it's a good little tweak to your d design process. Um, I definitely do it now. So I, I think, it, yeah, it's a, it's a decent industry trend. Uh, next thing, GraphQL is replacing REST APIs. So GraphQL is a similar thing. It's, it's an API framework to allow people to, to uh, get content from a server that they need and not necessarily all the content right so if they only need name and date from a author's uh from an author's you know database listing they can request only name and date and this provides a much higher performance to an to a regular rest api which usually you'll just you know either have to make a very custom api call for a name and date or you'll have to make an api call uh with all of the author's information. And when you return that, you'll have, you know, name, date, when it was created, how many things does the author have? You'll, you have a lot of information that you don't need. So you're only going to, you're going to be parsing that information out and only using the ones you need. It's a waste of, it's a waste of uh, a call. It's a waste of network traffic. So GraphQL fully makes sense to me. I personally don't have a ton of experience with it. I will be taking a look at it in the future. I, I don't have it like right now on my docket because um, it's not something that I, heavily need because again the the databases that i deal with are not in the millions or the hundreds of thousands they're like the maximum i have is a couple thousand lines so it's not a huge deal to me to be able to have to return that or to to deal with you know parsing that information um once i start dealing with much larger databases i will 100 percent look at graphql because i know just based on how it works it's going to be a higher performance so the other thing uh and the other, the other uh, industry trend that I that I have noticed or I have seen in these articles is serverless applications. Um, so what this means is that it allows you to create API calls or API backend stuff, uh, like a, a Node API backend, without actually having to spin up a Node server. So you can use a, a service to then just put like Node Node applet code that will return any sort of information that you need. And you'll, yes, you'll still have to write Node code, no Node.js code. So you, you still have to know how to do all that. The only thing you don't have to do is manage a server in the backend because uh, you'll just be writing this code and the serverless API will manage manage the actual server for you. And you'll, you'll it'll just give you an endpoint and you'll be able to access that endpoint. I think it, this is a really good step 
uh, for people that aren't familiar with the backend development. I think this would have been a very smart idea actually for me when I was first getting into backend development. It would have been a good like first step to quickly build out the HTML, the things website, instead of having to learn how to, you know, create a Docker container, manage an entire Node.js server and stuff like that. I could have just, you know, put, put a couple of authentication uh, applets on, onto a serverless, onto a serverless distribution, uh, a couple of other, you know, return, like information returns onto there. And then I would have been good to go. I wouldn't have had to learn all of the stuff that goes behind creating a node server. Um, not that I, I'm upset about learning that, but it just, it was a long spin up process for me because I'm not, uh, I'm not a DevOps kind of guy. I, I can code the actual Node.js stuff, no problem. It's just spinning up a development, like an actual server is, is something that actually took me quite a bit of time and a lot of uh, headache. As Matt knows, we've, we've talked about that quite often. Um, I'm not a DevOps guy. I don't want to be, I'm definitely a, you know, code uh, I can do backend code, I can do front-end code, but I do not want to deal with servers. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at. Um, so yeah, I can see serverless applications being a big thing. The only thing I would I would like to caution is I think once an application reaches a certain maturity level, it will still have to migrate anyway to a full server. Um, so I don't know, it might be kind of a, a needless middle step or if you have an if you have an application that's small enough that you know won't grow to a certain point, maybe it is a final step for you. But I think for most people, they will have to kind of migrate from a serverless to a server at some point. It just might be a good way to get into your app as fast as possible. Um, and then the last one here, the last industry trend that I've seen is uh, VR slash AR. Uh, again, this is not something I have a lot of experience with. I have looked into it a few times uh, for future projects, um, and I think it could be really cool for a website to be able to have an AR component. Like um, it's, it, it's really interesting to me that a website could kind of show contextual overlays based on what website you're on onto the real world where you're at. So if you have a, a, a website that reviews restaurants, let's say, and you're in front of like a block of five restaurants, you go to that website, activate the a, AR augmented reality component of that application and it will then detect which website, which uh, restaurant you're at visually and overlay information about that restaurant, like what its uh, reviews are, what its like menu is and stuff like that. And you can kind of interact with it as you go. I think that that kind of interaction is definitely very much a future trend. I think that will happen even with websites. Like I know applications are kind of starting to do that with Google Lens and stuff like that. But I think even websites will start to really use utilize the power of vr and ar and there's already be there's already like standards being made for web standards uh, i think xr is one of the the standards for um vr slash ar on the web but uh essentially yes I, I i think that this is a trend i don't know if it's a 2019 trend but i think it's a future trend that's that's my opinion with the with the vr ar um so that's about it for the current industry trends that I've seen kind of from those websites and gathered, gathered them, the curated list. Uh, I think we'll move on to the next segment here. Um, I had one quick question. That's yeah, right. of course. Um, yeah, I was going to ask when, when you were talking about the graph. So you were saying that the GraphQL is replacing uh, the REST APIs. Now, this might be a dumb question, but I don't really touch this stuff much. I mostly do the UI stuff uh, as well as the server stuff that you hate so much. Um, <clears throat> so I guess my question is, is what's you're saying you're not using this and i find that like you're not you're not planning right now on using graphql 
And I find that when I'm not using something, so for example, like there's been a lot of changes to JavaScript since I've used it in depth, you know, used it a lot more than controlling some animations uh, with the different ES versions. And as a result, like there's a lot of things where I'll see people do that and be like, oh, that's incorrect syntax or something. But then I realize, like, oh, it's actually part of the new ES. So my question kind of is, and not, and this isn't, uh, this isn't specific to the GraphQL thing, but it raises the question of, especially if you're not using something like you aren't, what is the best place or best news source, I guess, to keep up with stuff like this, especially when it's so like hyper, I don't want to say hypersensitive, but it's like very specific and it's very technical. You know what I mean? It's not like mainstream news. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Um I don't have like a single answer for you on that one. The the what I what I will say is I do uh and not to like pump our own horns, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts, web development podcasts like Syntax. Um they talk a lot a lot about industry stuff. Uh and 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 I also kind of read like Reddit's our web dev, people talk about the latest stuff on there all the time. I sometimes go down rabbit holes where I'll just like see one thing and then I'll kind of search for more of that technology and then I'll find more stuff. Um so I think I think it's really good to be in that industry bubble. The other thing is people go to talks, people give talks. Uh we like as HTML the things will also have a lot of information about industry trends or industry evolutions like maybe not exactly graphql but other stuff like vue.js right like we did a lot of content on vue.js so people listen to us and that's how they that's how they get that information people listen to syntax they get other information so it's it's like essentially what i do is i'm i'm with a lot like i'm listening and reading a lot of different sources that are constantly updating so reddit is constantly updating you know like you, you only see the top like the, the top of the day usually on on there so I, I get the latest news for that day almost every day. I'll check it at least once or twice a day. They are the our uh, web dev subreddit, so that gives me a lot of really cool like new information that comes up. That and then people usually talk about it in the comments, and in those comments, sometimes people will bring up other technologies, and I'll go in a deep dive on those technologies. So it's it's essentially just being willing to go in and look at a lot of different sources, listen to a lot of different sources on different subjects, and then follow up with research on the stuff that you hear. That's, that's kind of, or, or, or read. So that's kind of what I, what I do for it. Um, and I, again, this is a very short list of technologies. There's hundreds and thousands of different technologies that I don't know. And I don't cover, uh, that I'm sure are extremely popular and stuff like that at this point. So it's not, it, it, my, my method of doing this might not be the best method. There might be better methods out there that people can somehow stay on top of everything. But I don't think it's possible to stay on top of everything. I think it's just, it's one of those things like GraphQL. I, I do a lot of API work for for uh, for our contracts. Therefore, I do a lot of research into APIs. And therefore, I, I get a little bit of like tidbits of different technologies that are out there. Like if, if someone asks a question on Stack Overflow about, a, you know, an API call, someone might mention GraphQL on there. And I'll be like, oh, what's GraphQL? And then I'll you know, Google GraphQL. So it's one of those things that depending on the work that you're doing, like you did tail, you, you're doing, you were doing tailwinds. Remember last week, I didn't know anything about tailwinds and you had to explain it to me because I don't do CSS framework stuff. So it's essentially just being in that circle um, of what you're doing currently. So the more you're doing, the more, you know, that circle expands, but that that's essentially it, I think. Okay, cool, cool. All right. So moving on to segment two, 
our predictions. So again, in this segment, it's going to be more uh, laying out what we think is going to happen. It's kind of, it's not too long of a segment, so we're just going to get right into it. So my, and I, I've, I've said this before, my opinion, Vue.js will continue to increase in usage among frameworks and maybe not in 2019, but I think it will eventually overtake Angular and React. And the reasoning for that is um, Vue.js is kind of, I, I feel I've used React now and I've, I've helped other people with React and I can see almost every part of React in Vue.js and Vue.js does it easier to understand and better implemented. I don't like, and I haven't met many people that disagree with me. Uh, the people that disagree with that, that disagree that Vue.js or that don't disagree, but that don't use Vue.js currently are usually not using it because it's not the industry standard yet. Like it's not like a, a widely used framework as as React is. I think it is becoming that, but I think there isn't really too much to knock about Vue.js and the fact that it's ex- like developing so rapidly and kind of overtaking React um, in in its feature set and it the way it's being developed how like how efficient everything is uh like we're we're already getting Vue.js 3.0 I think it's it's upcoming really soon with a lot of really awesome features like there's not like it, my thing is is that react is a little bit more complicated to understand and to get started with than Vue.js and therefore Vue.js will overtake it that's 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 how I see it like I, I don't I don't think it's a I in my opinion it's not like a if this happens, it's a when this happens. That's that's where that's where I see Vue.js going. Next is uh, performance will once again start imp- impacting development decisions, uh, which will raise the use of pure vanilla JS. So and minimal libraries. So when when someone builds a application now, a lot of it has to do with the speed at which they build it, um, and because of the fact that they're usually people are on very extreme time constraints. They're usually trying to, you know, use already made code as much as they can and use frameworks that help them with development as much as they can, like Vue.js, like Bootstrap, like any any framework that essentially accelerates your development. The problem with that is that even though the frameworks are very well optimized, like these frameworks are really, really good and I have no qualms about them, it's still not as fast as using a simple Vue.js, like a simple JavaScript implementation. So just native JavaScript. And I think that will start to become important. Um, the emerging, like technology has gotten a lot faster and uh, speed has gotten a little bit less important as I've noticed. Like people do put a lot of, you know, a lot of content on their sites nowadays and they're not as concerned with how fast they load. But I think that's kind of twisting. I think people are going back to the, fa- to the to the phase where we want this to be as fast as possible. We want it to be faster than our competitor. We want people to, if they go to this site, for it to perform the same actions as our competitor, but twice as fast. And that will be the differentiator between them and the competitor. And I think for that, they will, they will be hiring developers that have a very good understanding of pure JavaScript, because that's one way where people can, you know, increase the speed of loading, the speed of actions and stuff like that another thing too is is like when it comes to performance and like i mean it's it's just sort of a a side effect of this i guess but it's like the fact that a lot of developers don't even know what their build process is doing or what plugins are working in the background like you know sometimes people will be aware of the plugins that they're installing other times they'll just be copying and pasting you know, NPM scripts, let's say, or NPM commands, not even realizing they're installing plugins because maybe this, you know, particular developer is just specifically using 
there's they're specifically used to working in tailwind or they're specifically used to working in something and so they don't really understand what's happening in the build process and that type of thing and i i feel like the fact that they don't know what's going on means that it's rather complex and honestly when i use npm and that type of thing a lot of the time you go into like the node modules file and sure if i run an npm install tailwind obviously i'm tailwind heavy because i'm big into right now but you know npm install tailwind whatever the command is um I, obviously i know that inside of my node modules there's going to be a tailwind css folder in there and and i understand that i'm installing you know tailwind css and i understand i need to build it but there's a lot of node modules in there that i don't understand with what what's in there like i don't understand a lot of those things and I think that this is really, it's almost like the Windows problem where where you, Windows is like has so many layers that, you know, every one of us could build the identical PC and each one of us could have, a, have different problems at the same time. Because there's so many layers to Windows and there's so many layers to this. Building our websites are becoming the same thing. There's so many layers to, and I'm not blaming NPM. Like NPM is a great way to install and install plugins and that type of thing. What I'm saying is, is that these build processes are getting very large and for very little reason. Oftentimes I'll find people installing like a Flexbox plugin. Just use Flexbox if you need to use Flexbox for one page. You know, just use just use a little bit of CSS if you need to highlight the text or if you need to you know wrap this in a box or something like just use a little bit of css but people are like oh no i gotta look up like box in you know plugins or like i need to like google like you know how do i do a nav bar you know in node or something instead of just using more of a basic structure we're bloating up the process in which we build things in and these plugins are built for generalized apps so as a result there's blow in there because you as a developer are chances or chances are, I should say not using all of the features of that plugin that you're using. And so it's one of those things that just really sucks where it's like, like what, like what am I like? I've, I've, I've been with people where I've said like, Hey, I'm having trouble with, you know, setting up your environment. Like, let's say I go to contribute on a project, like, Hey, I'm having trouble setting up your environment and they won't even know what that error is or even how to help because they're not aware. Like they just set up the environment probably from a guide and they're unaware of what they're doing. They don't know where all the files are. They don't know where all the plugins are. And like I said, we're guilty of it as well when do doing NPM install and that type of thing. But at least I know that NPM install isn't doing a plugin. I think, I think there's a, a fair amount of people and I don't have numbers, in my opinion, that there's a lot of developers out there that learn how to use a certain framework or a certain plugin and they don't know how the install process works at all and they don't know what's going on in the back end and they don't realize that there's probably thousands of lines of crap that they're not there's not crap but it's stuff they're not using so it's crap for their project that's just in the project and being loaded for no reason or massive photos stuff like that i think i think that a lot of the performance is being in being hurt or injured by that type of mentality and that type of workflow yeah, and I'll I'll actually even add to that. And uh, these like plugins that you're downloading are also also have their own dependencies that download even more plugins. So when you download an npm plugin, like you said, in that npm node modules folder, all of a sudden you'll see like you know fifty different plugins in there for, but you only download one. What it does is it goes into its own plugin and it'll download its dependencies. And then it will go into that plugin's dependencies and that'll download its dependencies. So it's like a, a you know, a, an infinite tree, not an infinite tree, but it's a tree of dependencies being installed on one plugin. So you might, you might want a, uh, a slider on your website and that slider might need, uh, you know, a JavaScript 
plugin for you know moving stuff from left to right, and also might need a JavaScript pro- plugin for changing images on on the fly or something like that. So it'll have that, and that those JavaScript plugins might those JavaScript image changing f- plugins might need a file changing plugin or something whatever. It just keeps going and going and going, and you're installing all these plugins. So the concern is yes with speed, but the even bigger concern and something that I've seen actually brought up quite often now is the security aspect of it. So you can see when you install a plugin on npm. After it installs, it shows how many dependencies have serious, uh, critical, uh, minimal, or whatever con- uh, security concerns. And most people are running uh, their applications, and we're including, uh, we're included in this with critical security concerns on our plugins. This, I think, will bite us in the ass. Um, don't quote me on it. But you can quote me on it. I don't know. Well, it's a, it, 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 it's, it's a house. It's, I mean, it's your yeah. opinion, but it's also a house of cards. It's if you don't understand, like, you might be using 150 plugins. It All it takes is one plugin that has some random thing that stores something in plain text that you were unaware of because you used their, like, secure keyword. So you thought it was secure. And then it wasn't. It was storing it in plain text. Boom, you're gone. So essentially, yeah, I, I, I fully... I fully agree that this is something that might crumble, like like you said, like a house of cards. I think that at some point, malicious attackers will figure out how to attack many, many, many different node modules at the same time and attack it just like uh, people would attack WordPress. And many, many, like uh, hundreds of people or thousands or millions of people's sites will go down because one of their, you know, hundreds of dependencies went down and that's it. Um, th- actually, some, another thing that happened recently was npm is kind of open source and anyone can add or take away from it at any time they want so if someone that's has a critical plugin that you know thousands and thousands of other plugins use as a dependency and they decide hey you know what i don't want to keep this out there anymore i don't want this to be open source and they take it off npm all of those applications with those dependencies will crumble and it's happened before it will probably happen again. It's one of those things that like, it's just inevitable. I'm surprised it hasn't happened more often. I think it's only happened once or twice, which is kind of crazy to me. Maybe the developer community is better than we think. Like it, we're just like a, a more intact community and we don't want to screw each other over. And that's the reason, but I'm sure that if we just keep doing this blind plugin installation, it will continue to kind of get worse and worse as the years go on. So a good call out Matt on that one. Um, the next little, next little, this is a small prediction. I think dark mode will become more and more prevalent on sites. So being able to switch between a light and a dark theme, uh, people have started to realize how blue light affects their eyes before sleep. And I think people have started to take into account the fact that AMOLED screens on cell phones get better battery life with a dark, like a very black, uh, background. So I think sites like larger sites will start implementing this more and more often. I think Google, like the new Android uh, operating system, uh, will have a dark mode across the entire system. So like that's already kind of a a trend that I can see happening. Um, And then the last kind of prediction that I have here is with Edge moving to Chromium and the fact that Edge was the factor of like holding up a lot of ES6 plus features, even though Edge was a lot better than the Internet Explorer installations, but it still wasn't being updated the same way that uh, other browsers were being updated. Edge was being updated in major feature updates to Windows, so it couldn't get rapid updates. So we would have to wait a long time for Edge to be updated. Now that it's going to be on Chromium, Chromium will update quicker. 
the the back end of Chromium and Chromium, and therefore we will probably be able to get those ES6 or whatever ES is out there in the future out faster. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting thought. I think I, I obviously Safari still is the uh, kind of iffy conclusion here. They're usually they were usually better at implementing features than Internet Explorer, but I feel like lately they've been like the worst of the of the all the other browsers. So compared to Firefox, even like regular Edge, I think Safari was still bad. So maybe that's what's going to hold that part up. But I, I'm hoping that features will be able to be, be built into JavaScript faster. Um, and with that, actually, the the last one here, just real quick, is that I think elitism like developer elitism and not helping the, the culture of like, oh, I know this, but I'm not going to help you is going to start to get looked down upon. Uh, as we can see, a lot of a lot of developers, if you start talking to other developer circles, are starting to look down on a Stack Overflow, the Stack Overflow elitism and the Stack Overflow like, oh, this has been answered before in like in in a side question to this question to that question. You, you don't you don't need to ask it again. Those kinds of like responses are getting less and less liked. Uh, in the developer community, and I think more of a teaching culture, so people just teach each other different, like all the different techniques that they use, is is what's starting to become more trendy. And I think that that trend is, is it's a positive trend that I hope continues to keep going. Um, with that, I think I will will go on to uh, web news, unless Matt has any other comments on industry trends or anything like that. No, I think I think that's covered rather well, uh, and I think it's uh, I think this web news is going to spark a pretty lengthy conversation. So uh, let's kind of jump right into it here. So the title is uh, "Are we too focused on conversions?" And this goes back to one of those other points I was talking about earlier in the show. I think it was segment number one, and I'll kind of go through a little bit of a blurb here, like normal, and then I'll you know sort of ask the question and get the conversation started. So converting an onlooker to a paying customer is the goal of any business. Uh, digital products and websites are often very trackable. So they can trace exactly what processes convert the most users to paying customers, whether it be, you know, little chat things popping up, whether it be newsletter things popping up, et cetera, et cetera. All like a lot of the users usage stuff can be tracked. You know, where's their mouse going? How long are they on the website? What's the bounce? You know, where were they from generally, et cetera, et cetera. You know, within a certain amount of privacy laws, of course, but you know, it's a lot more trackable than say someone walking around on the street. So oftentimes viral projects, which albeit are normally random and difficult to replicate, get a ton of conversions, but oftentimes these viral projects don't actually have a lot of these conversion tropes uh, of modern websites. They don't often have, you know, a big pop-up for their newsletter and that sort of thing. So common conversion techniques, as I've touched on already, include things like pop-ups for newsletter signups, uh, chat pop-ups, as we've talked about earlier, uh, and account sign-up requests, uh, as well as a notification of course, the notifications will come in there, you know, allow or, you know, disallow my notifications, you know, let me send you notifications. So my question is, and I'll, I also have a couple other little points to mark down after is our products that focus on, or our projects rather, our projects that focus on converting techniques, missing the point of creating a good product. Um, this kind of, I kind of think that the answer to that is yes. And I, I kind of think it's one of those things of, you know, quote unquote, if they build it, it will come if, or if you build it, they will come kind of thing. Um, obviously, because there's so much just stuff out there now, not necessarily people are going to start showing up without marketing. But in general, if there's if it's a good product, the people that you do attract and it, assuming it is solving a problem that's needed, if it's a good product will, you know, 
keep at least a few loyal customers. And one thing I do want to say just before we kind of jump into this is that marketing is obviously important. Uh, but these little, I'll call, I don't know if this is too strong for, but I'll call these little schemes. So these little schemes, like the pop-ups and that kind of thing that convert a bunch of people, um, are they actually, and I don't have numbers, are they actually costing the company more by turning away those users that are interested, but annoyed at the fact that they had to like close three or four pop-ups before actually looking at the website and to these users, especially people who are tech savvy or just market, they're savvy in this, in the particular market, they know that these are obvious sales tactics and they might just get really sick of it. They just want to see the pricing chart or the feature chart. They don't need to be told to allow notifications and every other, every other thing in the world. So I'll kind of pass it to Mike to try to give, kind of give his two cents on this. So, okay. Uh, I see this as a coming from a couple different sides. Um, Let's say you're marketing to the general public that's not tech savvy and that's not uh, that's not privy to a bunch of different marketing factors and doesn't doesn't understand how marketing works. They just kind of want a product for X purpose, N- nothing to do with technology. Maybe maybe it's like a a recipe website. They just want a bunch of recipes every every week, and that's what they're, that's what they're there for. They just they're looking for recipes. I think to them those pop-ups might be kind of a reminder. So if they're if they're of the of the the knowledge like if they're just there to get recipes, they're looking for recipes and they like those recipes and then like a minute after they're on the site, a pop-up shows up, "Hey, we see we see that you're on our website for for an extended period of time. Uh we actually do a, a weekly newsletter. Could you want to sign up and send us we'll send you recipes every week and then that like I mean that's what they're there for." They're, they might put in their email and that might be a constructive user that they're getting, a, a user that will you know generate leads, that will generate income for them because that's what they're there for. Now, on the flip side of that, if you're targeting someone that's marketing, privy to marketing techniques and privy to development techniques like a developer, like if we're, let's talk about HTML other things for a second. If we target developers and we try to use these quote unquote schemes, as you say, they will not fly. I'm one almost 100% sure they will not fly. Yes, we might get some people to sign up or whatever, but they're not the people that we want to be following us. They're not they're not the quality uh the quality user that we want to like interact with that 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 we the whole point of what we do this for. Like we want people that are that know about this kind of technology that like I don't know. It's it's kind of one of those things where I think if you're if you know about it, it's not going to be effective. If you're someone that's just a general public user, I think it is an effective strategy and I don't think it like the fact that it's been working for so long isn't is a testament to that. Like I it's it's just it's tough to it's tough to sit on quote unquote like high horse or the mountain and be like, "Oh, this is all these people are doing it wrong." Uh when there have there has to be some reason that they're doing like these there's some multi-million multi-million dollar organizations that are using these different techniques to convert people um so they have to be of some use now having said that obviously for me personally when i go to a website and they attack me with a bunch of different pop-ups i'm not going to be the customer for them maybe that's what maybe they're okay with that maybe they like they don't want people that question their tactics and that's not who's going to be that regardless of that that's not who's going to be buying their products like they want the people that are there for the specific purpose of being of getting the content from them and they will be very happy to 
to get their, you know, weekly newsletter or whatever. And that makes sense to me. I don't know. Like that, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. The thing I, I, that's a really good point because it, it is different market segments for sure. Like I agree that the developers are certainly not going to be as receptive to, to like using pop-ups and that sort of thing uh, for sure. But there's one other thing that I, I should mention too, is that I, I was watching a YouTube video a long time ago. I can't remember who it was by, but this guy was saying that, you know, he doesn't really like the fact that people are using, you know, these, these tactics to get people. But he said like, obviously I want conversions. So one of the things that he was doing was sort of a more in-depth study on his particular web website or web app. And what it was, was he was, he was finding that if somebody was, uh, Either, I think it was either like, again, it's been a long time since I've seen the video, so I, you know, I might be talking, I might be like des- describing the wrong situation, but it was something like if the user does a certain thing in a form, so it's like they were filling out something and it looked like they got stuck, like it was like they half filled it out and they left it or they did something in the form and it was like incomplete, he would then kind of hit them with a chat window thing. And I mean, that's a little less intrusive and that's a little more interesting, I suppose, because it's like, hey, like, you know, hey, it looks like you're stuck on this. Can, you know, can, can we offer any assistance, which is nice. However, and maybe this is more old fashioned and maybe this is why we're not necessarily marketers is to me, if the product is good enough, the UX is good enough, the UI is thought out and the product is, is solving a problem that truly needs to be solved. Do we really need to get into that nitty gritty or is that really showing more desperation than not? Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing conversion stuff like this, like you know, I'm sure there's nothing like legally and like legally wrong as far as I'm aware with doing the pop-ups, that type of thing. And if it's converting a lot of people over your site, then that's great. Hooray. Like, you know, you're getting, you're getting revenue, of course. And I would probably do the same thing given that opportunity. And maybe we will in the future, who knows? Um, but as you said, with developers, it's probably not going to stick, but I'm just wondering how much, like how much of a push do you need to give the customers? Like if you think about it, to, like to me, for example, if you if you were to take it take it into something that everybody does. So let's say everyone goes to the supermarket, like the food store in real life. So it's a physical presence. You know, you're you're, you're going to a physical store, and I understand some people order in, but just hypothetically, you're going to the store, and you know you don't have a manager or a salesperson constantly there to bother you you may have a couple people set up a little booths then they have like you know samples of their latest thing that they got in the new steaks or something and so they try to sell you that and they might offer it to you sometimes they just stand there with a little sign and let you come into them but there's no one really there corralling you you know there's a flyer that gets sent out every week or whatever it is and you can you know get those if you do get those and you can read them and you can even read them online if you'd prefer and then you can kind of go to the store with a shopping list and go through it There's nobody there at the door being like, hey, you should really sign up for this newsletter. Hey, would you like a shopping assistant? Hey, would you like, would you like a, uh, a cart? Hey, would you, it's like, okay, thank you. I need, you know, I'm here because I, my need, you know, my problem is I don't have food in the house. So my, I need to get food in the house. This place was, you know, at such and such a location. It was close to me. It has such and such a price point. I'm going to go buy it. And they would do that without the push. And so my question is, is are we creating we're, I guess I guess my question is is are we creating worse projects and are we creating worse products uh saying saying that separated sound weird products um are, are we creating worse products because we because we like we're trying to squeeze the little the little bit of need from every person if that makes sense it's like trying to sell a meal to a person that's full if you will like you're like oh you, you you know you could use some dessert and then the, then some people would be like yeah okay but they wouldn't have done that on their own 
So you're kind of like pushing those people, but like, shouldn't most of your customers be from people that are like, holy God, like I need a podcast service or I need a sales service. You know, I don't need to be corralled into this. I need a sales service. I need it now. This is a sales service. I'm okay with the price I'm going for it. I know I need an e-commerce solution. I'm going for the e-commerce solution. And I'm just curious as to whether these little things are the, well, they are technically the evolution of marketing, but if you have a truly good product, do you need to do these little things, do these little schemes? Do you need it? So let me, let me pose a question to you. Uh, when you're watching a YouTube video. Yeah. And you've watched, you watched a good chunk of it. And then at the end they say, Hey, if you can give a like or subscribe, has that ever affected you to actually give them a like or subscribe? I will say that I have forgotten to subscribe before. And then that has reminded me. Yeah. So that, that I think is the same principle that this newsletter sign up or notification sign up that I, I believe that that's the same principle because I, for sure, for me, uh, and call me a sheep or whatever, I forget to like and subscribe. And then if someone says it in a video uh, and I've liked that video up to that point, I will go do it usually um, because they've reminded me. And I have read and listened to a lot of YouTubers talk about YouTube in general on how it works. And they say that if they don't say that, they see a very significant drop in interaction with their video. Um, same with comment. Don't forget to comment. Like saying those things to people, it seems to work. Like it seems that as much as we want to say like, yeah, we want all those like ideal people that will just do it regardless of the fact that if we remind them, I just don't think there's a lot of those people out there. And if you want to reach the larger audience, and this could be, you could argue against this saying like, maybe I don't want to reach a larger audience. Maybe I'm a niche product and I only want the more dedicated people that won't need to be reminded, which is fair. That could, that could work in some specific use cases. But I think in general, uh, people do need the reminder. Like I, I'm, I'm not one of those people that will sign up for a, a company newsletter, but I know a lot of people that it would. And same with like, I'm sure there's a lot of people that wouldn't uh, subscribe to a video because someone tells them to subscribe, but I'm one of those people that would, you know what I mean? Like, so it, it's kind of like you're playing to different people's interests and a lot of people will be okay with the fact that uh, they, they had a pop-up reminding them that they, they can subscribe. One of those things, like a, a thing for me is that I don't like to receive a lot of stuff at once. If I receive one pop-up after like a minute of being on the site, a minute being that like, that's a pretty long attention span that I've had on that site. Uh, like People's attention spans are extremely short. So if you've been there for more than a minute, I think that's enough time to be like, okay, just, I, I can close, I can close out this pop-up box because I'm still enjoying being on your site or whatever. Like, it's just one of those, like, I, and, and it's actually the same thing with YouTube videos. I don't like it when people tell me to subscribe before I start, like at the start of a video, I like it at the end of a video. And I appreciate that more because I've already had time to like judge the video and notice how good it is or how bad it is and, and make my decision on if I were going to do that or not. So I think it, it's the implementation that matters, not the fact that their people are doing it. Um, I don't like it when a lot of stuff pops up at once. So I don't like, like, like we were saying before, a chat pop-up, account sign-up request, and a pop-up for newsletter. If all those three things apply, pop up at once, I'm gone. And I'm sure that applies to many people because I'm not closing three different pop-ups to stay on your site unless it's like something super critical to my to my li- like well-being or something like that. So You see what, I'm, see what I'm saying with that though? Like that's a really good point you just said right there. If it's critical to your well-being, which 
maybe it shouldn't be that serious necessarily, but it should be critical to your need or your want at that moment. And if you're truly trying to get that information, you might be interested in that website uh, without those pop-ups. Now, I do agree with you, though, about the YouTube thing. The but but I will say that the YouTube thing, so the YouTube thing, like please like, comment, and subscribe, is something that we'll we do, right? We do something similar at the end of the show, you know. Please leave a comment, that type of thing. But to me, it's more of like a piece of the show. It's like there's a little bit of a, a self plug in there, and that's sort of expected at this point. It would be different if on YouTube they also like had a little pop up saying like, "Hey, how are you enjoying the video?" Like if it was like you know interrupting the video, hey, how are you enjoying the video? How are you enjoying this? Or like, hey, we have a newsletter. Like they have the join thing where you can join channels now and you can sort of like subscribe like you would on Twitch, uh, where you can like pay a pay a monthly a monthly like a contribution or whatever right on YouTube. That isn't really thrown in anyone's face, I find, and people are doing it, so it's clearly working. And I actually haven't heard anyone mention it in their videos. I don't watch like I cope like I don't watch a copious amount of different YouTubers, so maybe maybe a lot do do it. But the thing is, is like, is like, I would also say that something like Amazon, for example, if you're not signed into Amazon uh, and you don't have an Amazon account and you go to amazon.ca or amazon.com, I would say that Amazon doesn't bother you as much, uh, as much, or at least not in my experience, as much as say like a random blog does. Whereas they do have the, the acceptable, or at least in my opinion, acceptable sort of YouTube thing where they say, Hey, you can sign up for Amazon right now. You can, you know, sign up for a free account. I would say that that sort of marketing is still in your face enough that I'm going to be reminded at the same time I may act and I may not. Whereas these blogs are just going absolutely crazy. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know. It, it to, to me, I think, like, I think you're right though. Like, I think it's, it's probably the implementation. It's not necessarily the, if it's taking away from your content is probably what we're getting at. If it's taking away from what the content is, that's no good. I think, okay, so one thing that I, I'll completely agree with you on is the fact that I think there's a better way to do it uh, for, for blogs and stuff like that. I think a pop-up isn't the best way. I think the better way to do it I, – I, actually, I don't, I don't know the better way to do it, but I think I, I would try a bunch of different ways before I settle on a pop-up. One of those ways might be more of a integrated into content ask – like an, like you know in a blog article – ask people to sign up for a newsletter. I think that's more of a less in your face pop-up block content blocking kind of way to do it. And more of a, like you said, uh, a YouTube approach where it's just kind of a quick reminder. Um, So people are already reading your content. They're going to read through that section where it says sign up for a subscription or they can just skip over it if they want. It's not blocking their, their view. So I think, I think you're right in the sense that maybe the pop-up is a little bit obnoxious. I, I, people use it because it works or people use it because it's easy to implement. Um, but I, I do believe that there is, there are better ways to do it and we haven't settled on one, like the, the best way yet. And it would be really interesting to see where that goes in the future. Speaking of industry trends kind of thing, I wonder how conversions will be impacted in the future. I think you're like the combination of creating a really good product and just reminding the user how to support that really good product are the two things that like would meld well together. Like not to, again, promote ourselves, but when we do a pod, like we're doing a podcast to be able to promote that podcast, just a reminder for like the Patreon or like the Twitter or whatever, that's enough for us, like I don't want people to go to our website and have a pop up in their face saying, "Hey, can you support us on Patreon or whatever?" No, 
just us saying it once or twice is I think enough. And I, I hope that it's not too invasive in people's ears, um, stuff like that. So I, I, I agree with you. Um, but it's a really interesting conversation. I think, uh, a conversation piece. And I would really like to do like research on it in the future. If I could, if I could have one thing that I could go back to school for, it would be probably some of this data analytics stuff. Cause I didn't, I, we did a little bit of data mining, but I didn't like analyze too, too much data. And I think there's, Having been in the industry for a little bit now, I can go back and I would do like a research project on all of these kind of techniques and interview different site owners and see what they say. Like, it's just, it's an interesting concept, I think. And, and, and like to kind of build off of that too, is it's, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, you know, we're, we're say, we're complaining from, from the perspective of somebody who's like really into the industry and obviously somebody who's tech savvy and obviously uses tech a lot as well. So, you know, maybe these websites need to do this to survive. And I, I don't want to, like, step on anyone's toes. You know, I don't want to, like, make fun of somebody or beat them up for making a living. Of course not. Like, if we saw massive imp- improvement in, in Hat's conversion by doing a million pop-ups, that website's getting a million pop-ups. You know, that's just the way it's going to be. The, the, the fact of the matter is the content does still need to be good. You, know, you can't have, like, garbage content just for people to sit in front of pop-ups. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but I will say that at least my current mentality is, especially with hat is that I would prefer, like, I mean, I'm going to add ads to the website and that type of thing. Like that is something that's going to have to happen because we want to make money. Of course, let's just be serious with it. But at the same time, I don't want there to be a million and one pop-ups. I don't want there to be a million and one things that like constantly, uh, annoy the user. One of the, one of the things I'll see on that on blogs is I'll be looking up, you know, something very specific or a guide or something. And I'll come to the site. It'll ask me about notifications. I'll say no. Then it'll ask me about a newsletter. I'll say no. Then a, then a cookie pop-up shows up and it'll cookie all, you know, do you want to opt in or like whatever? So you say, okay, yes, it's fine. You have cookies. And then I, as I and then all of a sudden an ad like loads in, the, the article tries to load in. And then I hear a bunch of noise because an, a, a video ad starts playing. And then I'll be like, oh, Jesus. So I'll mute that. Then as I start scrolling down, that video player that was at the top becomes like a, like a video, like a screen in screen or whatever. And it becomes like a floating video on my bottom right. And it follows me as I scroll down and it's like this ad playing, it's like, what is going on here? Like how many ads are we like, you know what I mean? I'm sitting through all of your conversion thing and then you're converting me so that I see ads, but like, look at all the stuff I just clicked. Like, I just want to read this freaking guide. Like, what are you guys doing to me? See, I think that is that personally, again, if it's creating you a bunch of conversions, I mean, power to you. Right. But at the same time, it's like, what are you guys doing? Like, that's pretty bad UX. Like if you ask a UX person, you know, like just from a pure UX perspective, like, okay, let's, you know, let's make this site nice and nice and, you know, nice and tidy for the users. Not going to be like the very first thing that they should see is four pop-ups and an ad that doesn't go away. Like no one's going to say that in terms of a UX perspective. No one's going to, no one's going to say that some, somebody in marketing might, right. But they're not talking from the UX perspective of the thing. And so I think we're getting further. I think this may be the indicator that we're getting further from UX, but you're right. We're getting further from UX, from the UX of things because we don't know how to convert people yet. And on that note, things like discovery engines. So something like a social media thing or uh, medium to an extent, which has a bit of a different policy now, but medium to an extent, those type of things uh, are new ways to get new followers and and to generate an audience but at the same time they are very you have to stand out somehow and so whereas you're not necessarily you know putting pop-ups and stuff like that on your on your posts on there 
it's still one of those things where we're seeing an evolution in web content. It's like websites came out first, right, on the web for the most part. Like in terms of the, the public using the web, websites were like the big thing. AOL keywords were a big thing and it would take you to websites. Now it's like if you could be on a website, sure, or you could just go onto Twitter and see the instant views, or you could, you know, go onto Medium and just read the uh, re- read the stuff within that smaller community. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot there that there's a lot there that is there's a lot there's a lot to unpack. Is guess what is what I'm saying is you know websites aren't going anywhere, but at the same time, websites aren't the only thing anymore, and so websites are revamping their marketing selves, if you will. And as a result, whenever somebody sees an uptick in numbers and like a higher, a higher conversion rate due to some sort of research that somebody has done, obviously people are going to jump on it because they need that little piece that they lost. You know, they lost a little piece to social media maybe. So they need that piece back. And that's sort of where it is. And I think, I think I th- if you're like a big creator and I don't really know how to get into this. If you're a creator on Twitter, I think you can get ad revenue from your videos that you post on there. And it's the same for Facebook, for sure, for certain creators. Like, Mm. you can get Facebook monetization. And so, like, Mm. that's one of the things that's starting to come out now is is that now, like, the monetization has rolled into the social media as well. Like, obviously, there's the ads that support Twitter on Twitter, but then there's obviously now the the ads that support the creators, which are supporting Twitter. And then because you're, you're on there looking at that creator, you're looking at ads that support Twitter. So, like, it's like a double whammy kind of thing and so i think i think you're right it's gonna be an interesting few years uh probably a decade probably or five to five to ten years i'd say where we're seeing a lot of different changes and 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 it's just like anything else we go too far so i think we're kind of at that point where we've gone too far and then we're gonna have to try to like reel it back and things like your chat bot idea where you kind of conglomerate is a cool idea i like that idea having one pop-up that has four or five things in there People can interact with it. It's a little more natural. And then if they send a message to it, maybe it like, you know, alerts a a support tech or something like that within the appropriate hours or shoots off an email if it's after hours or something like that. And that makes a lot more sense to me. So. Yeah. And that's kind of where I stand on it too. I I was going to, I was actually going to leave off with the fact that I think I want to try that one pop up with a chat bot to tackle all the things uh, super unintrusive and just try to see if that can work. Um, but yeah, you beat me to it. (laughs) Well, yeah, like, I mean, it's a good idea and, uh, I think it'd be something cool to even offer as a, offer as an NPM plugin, which we can pull the, pull the, uh, or get, get popular and then pull it out of, out of support. But I'm, I'm joking, of course, not being serious, (laughs) but, uh, and then I'll make sure to sprinkle in some critical security problems in there. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, like, I think that'd be a cool, like, NPM package or something. If we ever want to do an NPM package, or NPM plugin, whatever, uh, we've never tried that. You know, we never tried something that's been distributed over NPM. So that'd be kind of a cool project, maybe. Give that a, give that a try or something like that. Um, I think I'm, I think this kind of concludes the conversation. I, I would like to hear from the viewers, though, if you guys wouldn't mind, you know, shooting us a, a message on any of the socials or on our new Discord, as we've already said. Again, sh- shameless self-plug. Um yeah, if you guys want to mind, like, you know, chatting with us and saying, you know, if you have any sort of in, if you have any sort of interest or have any sort of experience with this type of, you know, getting conversions from a website, maybe you have a blog that's doing well because of this type of stuff, you know, shoot us a message because we not super versed in it. We're obviously aware of what's going on, but we're just not, we're not, you know, full-time marketers. So, you know, shoot us a message and let us know what you, uh, what you think, what's ha- what your opinion is and uh, what your experiences are like. Uh, but if you have any other, unless you have any other comments, Mike, I think we should run the old conclusion. 
wrap her up. Alrighty, well, thank you for listening, and uh, make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. Let's put a pop-up here, right, Mike? Uh, you should... <laughs> you can also follow us on the socials, which is at HTML, all the things, which is Facebook and Instagram. You can find us on Twitter via at HTML everything. Uh, we are on Medium. We are also on GitHub. And as I said repeatedly, we are also on Discord. And we are also on Patreon. So remember, we are on Patreon via via patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patron, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. You can find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. And works is spelled W-E-R-K-S. His link will, of course, be in the full show notes on our website. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And we are signing off. Thank you.